welcome to the DHG podcast series with a focus on life beyond numbers with topics about people, careers and flexibility. And now, here's your host, our Director of Corporate Communications and All Things Fun, Alice Gray Harrison. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of our DHG podcast series. I'm Alice Gray Harrison, your host, and I really love this venue because we get to hear about the things that matter the most to us, flexibility, careers, and of course, stories about our people. We are currently celebrating Black History Month. Today, Dr. Nika White is joining us to share perspective on inclusion and diversity in today's business environment. Nika's professional career spans over 20 years, and it ranges from serving as a diversity and inclusion practitioner, an accomplished marketing communications executive, economic development leader, and community advocate. She finds inspiration through intersection of business, diversity and leadership, and has made this her niche. She's a nationally sought-after consultant, thought leader, and speaker to countless organizations and executives on issues such as team engagement, organizational leadership, strategic diversity, and intentional inclusion. And I had the opportunity to catch up with her prior to this call, and we had a delightful conversation, and I just know that this is going to be a great podcast. Welcome, Nika. Thank you so much, Alice. I appreciate the opportunity. So you have an interesting background. Can you tell us just just briefly about your background and what inspired you to focus on inclusion and diversity? Sure. So my, my background into this discipline, as you mentioned, is quite unique. I didn't set out to be in the discipline or field of diversity and inclusion. My background is mostly in the space of advertising, marketing, communications, and I recall spending about 15 or so plus years working directly in that industry. And specifically, I started my career at an ad agency, and I was in between the the New York office of this agency as well as the Greenville office. And so going back and forth, it gave me a great appreciation for the differences in terms of um, the market and the people in those markets and, and the diversity or the lack thereof. And I remember sitting in my office one day as I was really contemplating on how much I just enjoyed the work of advertising, marketing, communications, and I had an epiphany. And I started really reflecting on if I enjoy this work as an African-American female, why aren't there others that look like me that's also taking advantage of this wonderful career path that I found to be incredibly fulfilling and very rewarding? And I couldn't let that go, but strictly, Alice, because when I started to think about the role of advertising agencies and the role of marketing firms, which are to be those smart marketing partners to their clients whose consumer constituency represent Diverse America, it begs the question, why are we not being more intentional and being more forward-thinking in our diversity and inclusion leadership approach to make this a part of the foundation of our product service offerings? And I couldn't let that go. So I remember I um, had a very spirited conversation with the president CEO at the time, who was very hands-on. I had a good rapport with, and I laid out the business case, and I knew that it would be well-received, and it was. And he looked at me and said, I agree. We need to do it. This is certainly going to bode well for our mission of becoming the most admired agency. 
and you're going to lead it. Now tell us how. (laughs) (laughs) And so in that moment, um, I had to think very quickly. And while I didn't have the full answer of how, I I knew that a starting point was to, you know, put some really smart people in my camp that were already accomplished and creating great success in this space within their respective organizations. And we literally went to work. And uh, we found that that was really a great turning point for the agency. We began to be a lot more intentional and effective. And we noticed that it was really making a difference in the way in which we were servicing our clients and the way in which we were hiring. And it's just, it allowed us to be that smart market partner for all of the clients that we were working for. And and I found through that experience as I started to work in that discipline, I was really in a dual role at that time, that I was really in my element and I was really operating in a space that I felt connected to and drawn to. And it was only but a matter of time before I would find myself in a predicament where I was able to start working in that discipline full time. And so that's kind of my history and my story. I think that it helped me tremendously that I did not start out as a DNI practitioner. You know, I, I was known already before that time as a thought leader across so many different operational aspects of an organization. And that is what helped me to, you know, really be able to couple the the business lens of inclusion with the work of of diversity. And I think that makes a tremendous difference. Oh, I totally agree with you. And as you were talking, it was funny, I was thinking about how, how that probably has played a role in your success. So you have a variety of clients, big, small. What are some of the biggest challenges that they're facing? What's keeping them up at night? You know, that's a great question, Alice, and I think that um, there's probably a multitude of ways in which I can answer that, but I would say the the two biggest things that I often hear would be, first and foremost, the how-tos. You know, people can really value the work of diversity and inclusion and recognize that it's significant and that it needs to occur, but when it comes down to executionally, the implementation, the strategic oversight, oftentimes a lot of organizations are not quite as well-versed on how do we do this effectively, where the work is um, sustainable for the long term and whereby they are seeing impact and not just approaching it from an activity perspective. And so I spend a lot of time bringing my level of expertise and skill sets to empowering those leaders and organizations who want to be more thoughtful about this work to understand how do you do it and do it successfully. And that includes a multitude of things, even from, you know, talking about change management and how that plays a significant role and diversity and inclusion within an organization and tracking and measurement and, you know, again, just the educational piece and making sure that people see it as a leadership function. And not as something that's just solely the responsibility of the person that carries the title of diversity inclusion officer or manager. Another challenge that I often see that a lot of organizations will grapple with, is, in addition to just the, you know not knowing how, is how do we make sure that we get the buy-in that we need, where we have the executive sponsorship and the leadership that's needed to continue to make sure this is not just something that's over in a corner, operating on its own, but is fully and traded throughout the operations of the organization. And so that requires helping those organizations to think intently about an internal approach and leadership to diversity and inclusion, as well as an external approach, whereby they may find themselves executing certain initiatives and programs that stem to those who are outside of the organization. But those are the two things that I find to be most um, challenging oftentimes. Very interesting. So one of the hot areas of discussion here at DHG, and I think, you know, probably nationwide, is implicit bias. 
Can you tell us exactly what it is? Because that's a new term, mm-hmm. or at least new, you know, to, to this industry. And why has implicit bias become such an important topic in corporate America? I love that you brought this question up because I feel like it is very timely to your point, and it is a topic that oftentimes people don't think about as it relates to diversity and inclusion. But implicit bias, as you mentioned, it is this, you know synonymous with unconscious bias, and it literally just is that. You know, there's biases that we all have that we aren't aware of, and as you can imagine, the danger in that is if you aren't aware of how your actions, your decision making, your behaviors could be negatively impacting the work environment or your relationships, then you aren't in a position to try to fix that to where it's not negatively creating implications that causes people to not show up as their best in the workplace. And we live in a society to where we rely on our teammates day in and day out to give us their best, you know? in order to be a high-performing team and an organization that's really reaching its mission and its goals. And so if someone feels as though they are not fully accepted or that there's some type of behavior that causes them to not want to bring their full selves to work and they question whether or not they belong, then it's going to be hard for them to really perform at a high level. And so we have to make sure that we're taking the necessary precautions to become more mindful about how in which we show up, the things we say, our decisions making and in order to help prevent some of those biases to negatively impact um, the work environment. And I always say that people are very well-intended. If you don't know what you don't know, it's hard to fix it. (laughs) And so the reason that we have to put forth a concerted effort around training people to disrupt implicit bias and unconscious bias is because, you know, we need for people to be able to show up as their best. And and there's a multitude of, of skill sets that people can be empowered by to help make sure that they aren't part of of the problem, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. And so it is a big conversation these days. I think that what makes it such a big conversation is that, again, sometimes people are experiencing it and maybe they don't even realize it. But, you know, the person who was the quote unquote victim may not know how to address that. Mm-hmm. And and obviously the person who is, you know, involved in some of that activity most often they don't know it. Right. So then it creates a situation to where now the cycle continues, you know. And I always say that even those who witness, you know, bias, they have a responsibility as well because if you see it and you notice it and you don't say anything, then that leads to this, you know, perpetuation of of that behavior continuing and that also can diminish the culture and the inclusive environment of an organization. And so – It's a topic that certainly um, deserves conversation, deserves training, and one of the things that I always like to encourage people to do is practice mindfulness, because if you're mindful, that means you're very self-aware of your actions, you are very observant, you're practicing emotional intelligence, and through all of that level of activity, you have a greater propensity to notice when bias unconscious bias even, is has the propensity to kind of surface within the situation. And you can do something about it at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And so education is key. It is key. And I, I mean, even for myself, and I like to think I'm a very mindful person, but mm-hmm. I had never heard the term unconscious bias or implicit bias until probably about I don't know, a year, maybe two years ago. But I remember the first time I heard it, I thought, wow, I wonder if I am doing any of these things. And so I really do try to think about how I approach things and ask myself, 
And I also, as you were saying, you know, what am I witnessing? And and I think trying to witness these things helps me become more self-aware of kind of my own approach to things. Absolutely. Absolutely. A bias can exist in so many different ways. Not only is it people bias, but it's also process bias. Yeah. We could have bias within some of our procedures and policies that we don't even realize that could be creating and hindering the work of creating this inclusive environment. And so right. we have to make sure that we are consciously, you know, being mindful to to really evaluate all that we're doing all the decisions we're making and whatever our policies may be. And, you know, to your point, oftentimes it's a situation whereby we just don't know that it's happening and mm-hmm. it doesn't make us bad people. It right. makes us unaware, which is why you have to educate. Yes. So you mentioned inclusive environment. So when I think about corporate America, whose responsibility is it to ensure that we have an inclusive workplace where everyone feels safe and everyone feels valued? It is everyone's responsibility. And sometimes when I get that question and I answer the way that I did with you, Alice, uh, some folks become a little puzzled by it and maybe a little overwhelmed because we so want to have that easy button where we can pinpoint who's responsible, we can make them accountable, and then move on with our lives. But the reality is that one person, individual, cannot be responsible for it. You are talking about something that's very systemic. It's part of a culture. And so in order to make sure that you're creating a culture of inclusion, you have to charge everyone in the organization with the responsibility of trying to make sure that they're doing their part to create that. Um, I like to call those folks intentional inclusionists. I actually wrote a book on it in 2017, and it's literally titled The Intentional Inclusionist. And it really comes from the premise of everyone, if you are a leader in your organization or whatever environment you may find yourself in, and being a leader is just being a person of influence. But if you are a person of influence, then you have the ability to create change. You have the ability to impact inclusion within your environment. And if we all as leaders are taking the responsibility and assuming the accountability for that, then imagine how much further we could be in this work of creating inclusive environments. And so I think it's everyone's responsibility. Now, having said that, you are going to have your champions and you are going to have your key influencers in organizations that will be able to help the the organization to move that forward in a way that is, is at a pace where people really can appreciate and you can start to see impact pretty quickly. And I often say that it, it starts with, you know, your key senior leaders because they're the ones who are setting the tone for the organizations and setting the expectations. But ultimately, it's everyone's responsibility. Absolutely. I love that answer because it totally is everyone's responsibility. So what when it, when we think about everyone and I think of myself and I think about maybe where I was 20 years ago when I started my career or maybe where I'll be in another 10 years, what can individuals do to contribute to building a more inclusive environment? Well, first and foremost, I think that we have to be responsible for educating ourselves and becoming more culturally competent. You know, oftentimes I find that many people, particularly in today's society, we would rather be politically correct than culturally competent. And I feel like that's a missed opportunity for us because when you are politically correct, then really what you're doing is you're avoiding really being fully authentic. And the way in which we can become a society whereby we are appreciating and and valuing human difference is by understanding human difference. And so we have to become culturally competent. The next thing is we have to recognize that diversity comes in all forms. You know, we 
do not need to define diversity by the optics of age, race, and gender. We need to really become much more sophisticated about the multiple layers of diversity because I think that that helps us to value and appreciate difference a little bit better. Because if we think about it, diversity really is just a point of respect in which things differ. It's not black or white or young or old. You know, it's, it's much broader than that. And the more we can start defining it and talking about it in that broader sense, I think that the better we are able to really embrace it in a way that allows us to start making it, you know, a part of, of our daily lives and routines in terms of creating those very inclusive environments. But th- those are two things that I would say would rise to the top of the list for, you know, recommendations for people becoming, you know, more aware of how in which they can lend their talents, their expertise, and their knowledge to creating very inclusive environments. Super. That's great advice. So this has been really insightful and helpful. And I I know that after our first conversation, I immediately went out to learn more on your website and there's a wealth of information out there. So give us a shameless plug. (laughs) Well, thanks for for asking. I never pass up an opportunity for a shameless plug. Um, I am very passionate about this space um, and hopefully that has come out even in our conversation today, Alice. And so for anyone that's looking to elevate their work in the space of diversity and inclusion, whether it's just at a personal level, because it does start there personally, or whether it's then within a leadership capacity of an organization that you may belong to. I certainly encourage you to use my website as a resource. I do have blogs and white papers out there and lots of just information that can help people to become more educated about the significance of diversity and inclusion. My website is nikawhite.com. That's N-I-K-A, white, just like the color, .com. And I would love the opportunity to connect with anyone that just wants to sit down and have an authentic conversation about how to move this work forward because we all have a responsibility in helping our society to become much more inclusive than it is. And can they connect on social media? Absolutely. So if you go to my website, you'll be able to have direct links to all of the social media that I belong to. And it's just about every single one of them. (laughs) Awesome. Well, your passion truly shines. And we are grateful that you took a few minutes out of your day to talk with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, I appreciate the opportunity to share. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to Life at DHG, our premier podcast series. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll tell your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our DHG blog for more great stories about our life beyond numbers. Join us next time for another edition of Life at DHG.